The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are now three weeks away from NFL free agency. The Combine is, believe it or not, next week. Of course, the players here at TPC Sawgrass, not that far down the calendar as well. So there is a ton going on. And I got to tell you, I wasn't sure about the first weekend without the National Football League in about six months. I found myself, quite frankly, enjoying a lot of my sports options. Over the weekend, we'll get into all that in just a moment. Some news out of the Jaguars today. It appears that passing game coordinator Jim Bob Cooter, again, arguably one of the best names in sports going today, Jim Bob Cooter, is going to leave the Jaguars to become the offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts, so stays in the division. Mia O'Brien will join us in about 10 or 15 minutes We'll get the latest from Mia on what it means for Jim Bob Cooter to leave the Jaguars, what Indianapolis is getting. Keep in mind, I mean, the season's been over for a month. Planning is well underway. How tough will it be for the Jaguars to fill that position? I think that you had to figure that Jim Bob Cooter was going to get hired somewhere, right? He interviewed in Tampa, Carolina, Indianapolis. He ultimately appears to be getting the Indianapolis job. So more on that in a moment, but Mia O'Brien will join us in about 15 minutes or so. Connor O'Gara, Saturday down south. Boy, it's the month of February, but there's news all over the place in the world of college football. From Mike Norvell's contract extension in Tallahassee to whatever's going on in Gainesville, usually it's bad, to Georgia losing Todd Munkin to the NFL, to Texas and Oklahoma entering the Southeastern Conference a year early. So there is a ton to get to in the world of college football. Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. He will join us here in the 8 o'clock hour. In the 9 o'clock hour, former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor will join the program. We'll go down memory lane with Clay a little bit. But by and large, it's going to be thoughts on the Jaguars last season. Thoughts on the Jaguars coming in this offseason. Remember, Clay Harbor being a former tight end. His thoughts on Evan Ingram. How vital is it for the Jaguars to re-sign Evan Ingram with free agency three weeks away from this afternoon, as a matter of fact, Monday, March 13th. So former Jaguar Clay Harbor. And then later on in the 9 o'clock hour, J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio will stop by. So as you can tell, we're loaded. We got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Or as my son said in our show preview, by the way, Shameless self-promotion. I'm using my kid as a prop, basically, in all these show previews I tweet out before the show. Denmark, I know you thoroughly enjoy Little Hacks analysis. Tonight, he goes with, listen to Daddy in Denmark. It's got a nice ring to it, right? Daddy in Denmark? 
I do kind of like that. So, Daddy we'll, in Denmark can listen to my bet story. There you go, <laughs> Daddy in Denmark. That's what it's all about here on Hacker After Dark. All right, Jim Bob Cooter on his way to the Indianapolis Colts. Those are the reports that are out. What does that mean for the Jaguars moving forward? Well, like we talked about last week, it's never a good thing to lose coaches, right? I would not volunteer to lose coaches. You want Trevor Lawrence in as familiar a surroundings as he can possibly have. Obviously, the coaching staff this year that was around Trevor Lawrence did an outstanding job with Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, Mike McCoy, and Jim Bob Cooter. You're now going to apparently lose one of them. It does kind of suck that he's going to a division rival there with the Indianapolis Colts to join Shane Steichen and his staff in Indy, although you can't blame Jim Bob Cooter. I mean, he's an offensive coordinator again. He was an OC in Detroit. He was only the passing game coordinator here. Now he assumes the reins as the OC in Indianapolis. I don't know, though, if it has too much of a negative effect. Again, never good. I wouldn't want him to leave. But you still have Doug Peterson. You still have Press Taylor. You still have Mike McCoy. So I'm okay with it. Keep in mind, Trevor Lawrence going back to his final year at Clemson, then going to Urban Meyer, and then going to Doug Peterson. Had three head coaches in three years. And I want to say Jeff Scott left Clemson to go to South Florida while Trevor was there. So I want to say Trevor had four offensive coordinators in a five-year stretch. That's a lot, man. That's a lot of turnover. That's a lot of new terminology. That's just a lot for a 20 21, 22-year-old to absorb. Now, finally, for the first time in three and a half years, Trevor will have the same head coach. Trevor will have the same offensive coordinator. And Trevor will have the same quarterback coach in Mike McCoy. So as much as you would have liked the entire staff back, if you were going to lose one, you know, Jim Bob Cooter deserves it, did a great job. And look, as we talked about, this will happen as the Jaguars get more successful. Teams will see what's going on here and want to pick guys off. Press Taylor, let the Jaguars keep this up for a while. Let the Jaguars continue to have a top 10 offense. And Press Taylor, a young up-and-coming coach, it would not surprise me at all if he maybe gets a look at a head coaching position coming up maybe as early as next year. But it's a good thing when guys are leaving your staff. That means what you're doing is working, and other teams see that and want to bring those guys in to their organization. Now, it'll be a talking point. Don't think it won't be. It will absolutely be a talking point twice this upcoming football season when the Jaguars and the Colts get together because Jim Bob Cooter knows Doug Peterson and knows Mike McCoy and knows Press Taylor and the fact that you got to play the Colts twice, obviously, in the division, you would have liked him to go to another team. You would have liked him to go to a team where you didn't necessarily have to deal with him. 
Jim Bob Cooter knows the Jaguars, and the Jaguars will know Jim Bob Cooter. It'll work both ways, which will certainly make for a conversation, if nothing else, the weeks next year when the Colts and the Jaguars get together. Again, Mia O'Brien coming up less than 10 minutes for the very latest. What does it mean, the loss of Jim Bob Cooter to this coaching staff? And what possible direction could they go, the Jaguars, that is, to fill that passing game coordinator role? This weekend, truthfully, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. No NFL for the first time in six months. What was I going to watch? How was I going to pass the time? Well, shame on me. Admittedly, I am not near the pro wrestling fan that I once was, but anybody my age, Denmark, this won't apply to you, but anybody listening right now, mid to late 30s, early to mid 40s, maybe, maybe late 20s, early 30s, that would probably be the cutoff. A&E did a documentary series last night on the new world order of wrestling. Denmark, I was locked in, all right? If that makes me a geek, then I'm a geek, but I was locked in for two hours watching a documentary on the new world order of wrestling. That was my childhood, man. That was the 90s, right? That was 96, 97, 98. That was... Hulk Hogan? Oh, yeah. No, it was Hollywood Hogan. Okay. Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. That's when wrestling was at its peak. And if you are a wrestling fan or were a wrestling fan back then... I would highly recommend going on demand to A&E and watching that documentary series last night because it was awesome. And then they did a Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant Legends thing after, which again was awesome. So I dedicated three hours of my life to the new world order of wrestling and Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant on a Sunday night. But prior to that, got to tell you, man, Again, I'm not going to sit here and break down the XFL, give you the X's and O's on every matchup. I watched some of it. I didn't mind it at all. It was football in late February. It's going to be on for another three months. I like what they do on the kickoff. They got a lot of rules and a lot of things they're trying out to see how it may work on the NFL level. You got the kicker standing all the way back by himself at his, like, 30-yard line. The other 10 guys on the coverage team are down on the opponent's 30. The kickoff return team is at the 25. So you got 20 guys that are five yards apart. And then you got the return guy back at his goal line. It takes away from the big collisions, right? The coverage team cannot move until the return man catches the ball. And they're only separated by the return team by five yards. You don't have a 30-yard head start and, you know, wedge bust and do all that. It was innovative. I kind of liked it. I don't know if it would work on the NFL level, but the ball was being returned. You didn't see touchbacks all the time. It made the kickoff return game part of the game. And then I love what the XFL does. The USFL does it too. I understand why the NFL doesn't do it, but I wish they did. Whenever there's instant replay, they take you into the booth. They're talking to Dean Blandino, the replay guy, on television while he's looking at the replay. It's a fascinating look at what goes on when a a challenge is made 
and it goes to the replay booth. That sort of stuff, the spring leagues are very, very good at. I understand, I guess, why the NFL doesn't do it, but there were aspects of the XFL that I enjoyed. Again, not for everybody, not for most of you. That's why we're not going to have a segment covering the XFL. But if you see it on TV next weekend, give it five minutes. That's what I did. I'm happy I did. I enjoyed watching the little bit of it that I saw. NASCAR, Denmark, I didn't know what I was watching yesterday. Cars go round and round. Uh, you know, look, Dale Jarrett, Mark Martin, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, Bill Elliott, that was my generation, right? I'm the oldest 39-year-old on the planet. I was into NASCAR mid to late 90s, early 90s. Dale Sr., Jeff Gordon, the Labonis, the Wallaces. That was my wheelhouse. Now I'm watching whatever a stage is, right? I couldn't figure that out. And I'm watching all this other stuff. The Daytona 500 turned into the Daytona like 530 because they flat out refuse to end a race now on caution, even though every time they go with two laps to go, there's the big wreck. I don't know, man. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to begrudge anybody from watching it. I just don't like all the changes. I don't like... I have no way of knowing who actually did well yesterday. Like, if you win a stage, Denmark, I'm assuming that's a big deal. Yeah, because you get points. But that's not as big a deal, obviously, as winning the race. Yeah, so, I mean, specifically, like, the super speedways. Like, remember, you used to have guys like... I remember Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, one time at Talladega, they would go straight to the back of the pack to avoid the big wreck, and then they would go up to the front toward the end of the race. Now it's they want everybody going to the front to have it more entertaining, but I don't really I don't really care for it either. They've actually done it for a couple of years. Yeah, I just found it to be complicated. That's where I was. I found it to be complicated. I don't need my sports to be complicated. I watched it, though. Again, I'm not going to. If it's your thing, it's your thing. If you understand it, more power to you. Did you see what Kyle Busch said after the race? Uh, I, I was actually uh, really, really rooting for Kyle Busch. I did Same not here. see what he said, though. Yeah, he uh, he wasn't too happy. I'll pull it up later. I'm sure he wasn't. He was leading the race with three laps to go, and then they had the caution. And then after that, his chances were, uh, were pretty much gone. It was a bad ending for RCR Racing. That much I gathered. Richard Childress Racing did not have a good ending there to Daytona the Gator basketball team may not win again this year that was pitiful on Saturday that was pitiful I'm never going to use the term quit to describe college athletes but in the second half they looked very disinterested in playing defense I think when Colin Castleton broke his hand I think they have an excuse now they have an out and I'm not sure they win another game this year if you want to blame Todd Golden for that I don't blame you Coaches got to get them ready, man. Got to get them fired up. Got to get them prepared and ready to go. That was bad in the second half there in Fayetteville. Against a good Arkansas team, look, if Castleton's playing, they probably don't win the game anyway. But my goodness, they just did not play any defense whatsoever on Saturday. So between the XFL, between the Daytona 500, little bit of college baseball, Florida in their opening series. They look every bit the part. They look like they're going to be very, very good. And the new world order of wrestling last night on A&E. It was a jam-packed weekend, and we're glad you're with us on a Monday to review it all. Jim Bob Cooter apparently leaving the Jaguar coaching staff, staying in the division to take the offensive coordinator job in Indianapolis. 
with head coach Shane Steichen. Let's talk to Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime here on 1010XL. What does his departure mean? What direction could the Jaguars be looking to fill that role? Also, Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com, talking Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, and more. All that is coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. It's Hacker After Dark on a Monday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, you learn different things every night here on Hacker After Dark, and I'd like to think I'm pretty well-versed in the world of sports, but I was not up to date on my Louisville Cardinal basketball record. Um, last time I checked, Louisville is pretty good, right? They got a pretty spirited tradition there in the state of Kentucky. They're four and twenty-three right now. <laughs> They're about to fall to four and twenty-four. Not to break down Louisville, but uh, somebody would have won a lot of money off of me if you would ask me after twenty-eight games what Louisville's record is. Four and twenty-four, about to fall to two and thirteen in ACC play. Good grief. Let's talk to somebody that knows a little bit more about college basketball than I do. I believe she's an AP voter. She also is uh, one of our main folks here on 1010XL covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get her every day on XL Primetime. My friend Mia O'Brien joins us here on Hacker After Dark. Mia, how we doing? Good, my friend. How are you doing? It's funny you bring up Louisville. I actually was talking to my dad this morning. I got another fun fact for you. Uh, DJ Wagner, the number one recruit in the class of 2023 out of Camden, New Jersey. His grandfather is Milt Wagner, who is an assistant coach at Louisville, was just hired this offseason in hopes that he would bring DJ to Louisville. But, of course, DJ has spurred them for Kentucky because, of course, nothing comes up Louisville in 2023. But apparently, on the heels of UNF's big brawl, at Austin P on Saturday, Hack, my dad was telling me DJ Wagner and that Camden team got into a huge brawl up in the New Jersey State Basketball Tournament, and they have now been forced to bow out of the entire state tournament. So uh, there is your uh, random basketball fact today, courtesy of AP voter Mia O'Brien. Yeah, you know, I saw that brawl uh, with Wagner, and it was it was a good one as basketball fights go. You never want any high school players to do that. Real quick, Mia, because I want to get into the Jaguars with you. You brought up UNF, and I was watching UNF Austin P. Apparently, they were closing down that arena on Saturday. UNF trying to get their place in the A-Sun tournament. Austin P is terrible. Austin P wins the game, but at the very end of the game, boy, it got ugly, and it spilled not only off the court, but into the hallways in the arena. Um, not a good look for either team. That was a shame what happened there. Yeah, absolutely was, Hack. And again, full disclosure, I was on vacation this week. I'm driving back right now. So if my services, that's also why. Um, so actually, until the next morning, when someone sent it to me, I was so taken aback. Um, with the UNF's games this week. And so uh, obviously, you know, as we talk to Coach Driscoll and the staff, we'll have a little bit more clarity as to what the repercussions will be. Uh, awful to see. Again, I can only speculate, and, you know, from what I've heard from people around the program, just texting a few people today, um, not really sure entirely what happened, but from what I can see with my own two eyes, two eyes, I mean, Jonathan Abar got jumped 
essentially. Like, I, I know that that's pretty uh, rash and brash to say, um, but at least from what I saw, he got jumped, and then he may or may not have been sought retaliation afterwards. Um, but I saw a lot of Austin P jerseys around him um, after he tried to commit a foul just to force Austin P to shoot free throws instead of getting an easy layup. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate what happened. Um, and obviously UNF has been in playoff mode for a couple of weeks now because they need to be one of those top 10 teams, the 14 teams now in the league, in order to even get into the A-Sun Conference Tournament. And so it's do or die right now, two big ones for the Ospreys. It'll be curious to see this week who will be available after uh, the fracas, if you may, on Saturday night. Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime here with us on Hacker After Dark. Mia, Jim Bob Cooter. Leaving the Jaguars, it appears, to head to Indianapolis to be the offensive coordinator for Shane Steichen. Let's start from the top. What does his departure mean for the Jaguars? Um, I will tell you that while certainly Jim Bob is a guy that a lot of folks like in the building, um, it, it's not being regarded as this groundbreaking loss that's going to change the offense a whole hell of a lot. Um, Jim Bob, from what my sources have told me, informed Doug Peterson last week that he would be seeking either offense coordinator opportunities with the Indianapolis Colts or the Carolina Panthers. As we all know, he also interviewed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As we also all know, the Jacksonville Jaguars blocked Press Taylor interviewing with the Baltimore Ravens. And so um, from what a lot of people have said to me, you can kind of read between the lines with who was allowed to interview elsewhere and who wasn't. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter obviously has had some pretty high-profile positions with some other teams. Press Taylor is in the midst of his highest-profile job of his young career. And so I don't think it's very surprising. Um, again, I was told last week, pretty early in the week, that this was coming down the pipeline. And it was a matter of, it seems like, at least from what I've been told, knowing that Shane Steichen was just hired last week, um, Wright and Carolina were going to have the first say at Jim Bob Cooter. And then when they went elsewhere that's when it appears that then the Colts would then pivot to him as one of their first choices. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, listen, uh, our guy Joe Coward uh, has coined him the Cooter of the Year, the Acoy of the Year, the Assistant Coach of the Year, um, and obviously a guy who's part of that brain trust for Trevor Lawrence. But I can assure you a lot of the very, very key pieces, with all due respect to Jim Bob Cooter, uh, the architects of that offense, they are all staying in Jacksonville. For what it's worth, without getting into too many details, a couple of those guys were nearly approached for some opportunities this offseason. Didn't come to fruition. And I'll tell you this, Hack, and it makes me happy to know as a, you know, as a Jacksonville resident, as an adopted citizen of this city, that those guys, as much as they knew there could be bigger opportunities elsewhere, they didn't want to leave here because they know the Jaguars are building something special. And, and I think that that should give all the listeners out there and the Jaguar fans out there some optimism heading into the 2023 season, in addition to all the optimism and goodwill that's been built over the past three months. Yeah, the shame of it for me, me, is I won't be able to say the name Jim Bob Cooter near as much anymore as I tried to work it in pretty much on a regular basis when he was here as the passing game coordinator. Now, what does that mean for the Jaguars as far as filling that position? It's not like the season ended a couple of days ago. We're a month into the offseason. I mean, it's February 20th, the combine is next week. Are they going to look to fill that role of passing game coordinator? Yes. Um, and thankfully, because, you know, again, very professional process with Jim Bob. And so, you know, all the more reason to wish him all the best. Um, he informed Doug Peterson last week. And so uh, they have already begun the process of vetting candidates, 
having those candidates' agents review litigation with Trent Balky and the rest of his staff, as far as I've been told. Um, so, you know, so they have people in the pipeline that are being vetted as we speak, Hack. Um, if I wasn't driving, you know, for all I know, I might be getting a text right now saying, all right, like, here, here's the guy. Um, but just know that, and we saw this for what it's worth with the hiring of Chad Hall, the uh, wide receivers coach, as well. You saw the same exact thing where, you know, everyone's looking around like, oh, my God, it's late January. and Who are you going to hire? Doug Peterson had five or six guys on the phone immediately that he knew would be interested in the job. And to be quite frank, Hall kind of was a latecomer to that cluster of candidates because it wasn't known at that point in time whether the Bills would be renewing his contract or not. And so much like Keith Barwell, um, you know, kind of fell butt backwards into the Jaguars, and it was a guy that, you know, Doug Peterson had familiarity with, and so he was excited to hire him. And I would expect a similar process here with the um, with the replacement for Jim Bob Cooter. Mia O'Brien of XL Primetime. Mia, leave us with this, then you can get back to getting home safely. Uh, franchise tags can begin coming out very, very soon. As we know, free agency, the negotiation period, is three weeks from today. Do you feel that Evan Ingram will potentially get the franchise tag placed on him in the next two weeks? I do not have. I think it is way more likely that Juwan Taylor has the franchise tag placed on him um, just because I think that Evan Ingram is so willing and so eager um, to negotiate with the Jags, at least from what I've been told. Um, there's, there is, you know, very, very much optimism that the two sides can come to an agreement and that wouldn't have to be the case. Um, obviously, it would be a great back, backup plan because then you ensure that essentially you have to get a deal done or at the very least you're paying him this upcoming season. Um, I'll tell you this much, Hack. Uh, I've been, I, I know they're not going to really tip their cap fully uh, to a local reporter like myself, um, but in my conversations with people in the building, you know, they are preparing for life potentially without Jawan Taylor. Um, but at the same time, I will say this. I think that they're keeping it very tight to the best, and much like Cam Robinson the past two off seasons, keeping that offensive line and Trent Baalke proving that players we draft we will retain in Jacksonville is not just a company line. It is a fact. I think that that is higher on the priority list than a lot of people are realizing. Like I said, from what I've been told, they are looking – you know, with potential free agents, they're looking at, you know, draft boards for offensive tackle. Obviously, knowing you have Walker Little, who would slide right in, but then who becomes your swing um, and your backup. And also knowing the fact that your entire left side of the line between Cam Robinson and Ben Barge is coming back from season-ending injury. Um, I think that that is more of a nagging point that people realize. And I also think, and I, you know, I stopped for gas about a you know, half hour ago or so, and one of my buddies sent me that Evan Ingram did an interview with Sirius XM today, and he said there, like, we're almost there with the deal. I'm not really worried. Both sides have interest. Like, you could tell he was trying to play the game, Hack, but at the same time, he was being very honest of, like, we're going to get a deal done. Um, and so, you know, I, while the franchise tag, I think, would ensure a deal gets done, I personally think that they're going to place more of an emphasis on, you know, it sounds bad, but, like, you know, keeping Juwan Taylor against his will then they are ensuring, okay, well, we're definitely, like, there's no question asked we're going to get a deal done with Evan Ingram. And you got to wonder, Mia, if that's the situation, and that's very interesting, if that could get ugly as far as, uh, you know, contract extension, if a guy like Taylor and his reps do not want the franchise tag. Cam Robinson didn't seem to have all that 
much of a problem with it. Jawan Taylor, on the other hand, is probably going to get some huge money on the market with a long-term deal if he gets the franchise tag placed on him. That might not be as cordial as maybe the Cam Robinson one was. Yeah, I think so. And part of it is, you know, Jawan, it depends on which metric you're looking at. Some people will tell you he had a career year. Some people will say it's a byproduct of playing next to an all-pro in Brandon Scherf and having quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I think with Jawan, it really does stem from the bulky, you know, sticking it to we draft players, we're going to keep players. I think it stems from that. And I think it also stems from they just want bodies that know the system um, and that Trevor knows. And the best ability is availability. And so I, that's what I think a lot of it stems from. But, you know, for, for, what, for all of that, he could be commanding such large money that it's not worth it. Um, it would be about $18 million to franchise tag him. The Jaguars don't have that money right now. You would have to part with somebody else um, in order to make room for that sort of deal. And that's a lot of money even if then you were able to agree to a long-term deal where maybe the salary was less but the upfront money was more, that at the end of the day is what Jawan Taylor is going to be looking for on the open market anyways. I mean, he's probably, you know, I think our, our boy John Shipley of Sports Illustrated capped it at like $15 million over three years to the Raiders with like $30 million in signing bonus. Like, while the Jags don't have the money for that, like they could renegotiate and restructure to do something like that. And as I previously reported, Trevor Lawrence has even taken the initiative to have meetings, have lunch with the likes of Christian Kirk and Brandon Scherf to discuss renegotiating their deals and restructuring their deals to ensure the Jaguars have more cap space and can keep the band together in 2023. 1010XL's Mia O'Brien. Mia, safe travels. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, Hack. See you later. Mia O'Brien, very interesting. Look, I think all indications – are Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor both priorities, right? But do they have the money to franchise Jawan Taylor? Now, if you franchise Jawan Taylor, does that cost you Roy Robertson Harris? Does that cost you potentially Jamal Agnew? And all of these questions, we're going to get answered very, very quickly. Again, franchise tags, I believe, start going out this week. You got a two-week window to do it, and then you're three weeks from today until the start of NFL free agency. More on the Jacksonville Jaguars coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, and Jaguars Radio, and a former Jaguar tight end, Clay Harbor, both set to join us after 9 o'clock this evening. Coming up next, there is a ton going on in the world of college football, and with that, let's go to one of our favorites, Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Let's talk Florida. Florida State, Georgia, Miami, and more. Connor O'Gara, Saturday Down South, next on Hacker After Dark. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. We are in the late stages of February. Spring football in the Southeastern Conference on the horizon, I believe Missouri is the first team in in about a week and a half, and there is a ton of local and regional college football news to get caught up on. With that, let's go to one of our favorites here on 1010XL, Connor O'Gara of SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. This is uh, the time of year in which I I tell myself uh, I'm going to start watching more basketball, might get into a little bit of college baseball, but then I'm like, ah, you know what? 
I, I know what, what pays the bills. It's college football, and there's always stuff to talk about. There is no doubt, and for some reason, it's going to all hit regionally here with the SEC news, some news at Georgia, the Florida situation after Jaden Rashada and that NIL fiasco, and Florida State, Connor, and we'll begin there. Mike Norvell, a brand-new contract extension, now signed through the 2029 season. Boy, who on earth would have saw that six months ago? But man alive, a well-deserved extension for a guy in Norvell that did a heck of a job last year. Who would have thought that midseason, too? When Florida State loses three in a row, and you're kind of thinking, man, this this looks like it, it could potentially get away from Mike Norvell, and ah, maybe they're going to have to move on from him. And then they, they turn things around, and I give them a lot of credit because in a situation where you're like, okay, we're, we're not going to an ACC championship. This is kind of the way that our, that our season looks right now. They figured things out, and I give Jordan Travis a lot of credit as well for being able to – to stay with that program and continue to buy into that offensive philosophy because there was a, a much different team down the stretch than the one that we saw be fortunately somehow get by against LSU in that season opener. And it kind of feeds into what I've been saying for a while. Florida state is the ultimate good vibes team in college football this off season. They really are. And having a, a, an extension like this, that news kind of hit, you know, it's clear that they want to be able to build on this momentum. I love what they've done with the transfer portal. You go out, you get somebody like Jaheim Bell, somebody I'm really high on coming from South Carolina and all the different ways you can use him. You get Jordan Travis coming back. They're number one in the country in percentage of returning production, the great stat that Bill Connolly puts together. And this is a, a very great opportunity for Florida State to, to move past whatever sort of stench was still there from the Jimbo Fisher era. I think they're totally out of the woods in that regard, and they deserve to start off as a preseason top five to top ten team. Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, agree with everything you're saying. I love Florida State. What I don't love is their schedule. I think every tough game, basically, they have is not in Tallahassee. One's in Orlando against LSU. They got to go to Clemson. They got to go to Pitt. They got to go to Florida. You wonder if that schedule will catch up with them. But the interesting thing about the ACC now, no more divisions, right? The two best teams at the end of the year. So you could lose to Clemson if you're Florida State and still make that ACC uh, championship game. Yeah, the schedule is difficult. It really is. And, you know, there's no guarantee that, that they're going to be able to, by no means. I mean, that that opener is is very much a coin flip because – well, I can sit here and tell you they became a much better team down the stretch. They really found that offensive identity, and that was important for them. I could also point to that season opener against LSU and say, well, Mason Smith gets hurt on the first series of that game, and Harold Perkins wasn't even a factor because he wasn't playing yet as a true freshman. So uh, they're, they're going to be there for LSU in that opener. And, yeah, I mean, that schedule – is difficult in the road trips that you're going to have to make. Maybe it'll scare some people off of saying that Florida State is going to go to the playoff or something like that, but I still think that where they're starting the season is just in such a good place and to have all that production coming back from a team that got to experience what it was like to, to feel good at the end of the season. I mean, it, it really has not felt like Florida State has been able to, to build any sort of offseason momentum in a while. And, and it now feels like they're at that place. So, yeah, schedule could be their undoing. Maybe they don't necessarily improve from a win standpoint, but this is all about elevating their floor right now. And to that point, I don't know, you know, four months ago, like you said, how many Florida State fans would have kept Mike Norvell if they could have traded him for Billy Napier or Mario Cristobal. Now, as we sit here in the month of February, I think if you're a Florida State fan, you're just fine with Mike Norvell and maybe some Florida and Miami fans 
might be willing to trade their guy for Mike Norvell. Let's quickly touch upon the Hurricanes. Uh, boy, it, it's it was not good last year. That's that's putting it mildly. I think Miami's got to improve Connor because I don't think they can get much worse. But is there any pressure on Cristobal going into year number two after what happened a year ago? I don't think there's pressure um, in in a sense of like his job is on the line because of the, the, the financial commitment there. And that's been a well-documented topic and what wooed him from Oregon in the first place. But man, talk about, talk about Florida State being the ultimate good vibes team. Miami might be the ultimate bad vibes team right now. I mean, to lose two coordinators for different reasons, one of which you part ways with when he's a year removed from winning the Bros award and he was seen as this, you know, Josh Gaddis was this huge win for, for Mario Cristobal to bring him onto his staff after the way that things played out at Michigan. And then to lose Kevin Steele to, to Alabama, some might not see that as a significant loss, but I'm still sitting here wondering, man, what's going on? That offense was a train wreck in year one. And I don't like to overreact to year one coaches, but you're like, man, I, I thought you guys were elevating the talent level and you were supposed to be figuring out NIL and you know, you got this great staff and Mario Cristobal is respected as one of maybe the 10 to 15 best coaches in the sport. Then to have a year as bad as that was, man, like I, I just can't really buy into what Miami's selling right now. And I think there are a lot of people who are very much in wait and see mode going into year two. Connor, you talk about wait and see mode going into year two. That's exactly where they are in Gainesville. Look, I haven't talked to you since the Jaden Rashada NIL, I guess fiasco you would call it at the University of Florida. I mean, that's a horrific look. No matter whose fault it was, it's a bad look for Rashada. It's a bad look for the Gators, and it will certainly be used against them in the recruiting battles, correct? That's that's the key point to remember in all this. Because if you're if you're spinning this as a Florida fan, and I know my guy Chris Doring, who I, I love, but you know, when you hear somebody like that say, Oh, you know, he wasn't worth that money. Yeah, he might not have been worth that money, but that still impacts your ability to recruit. And I understand they got DJ Lagway on board, and they're really excited for for the the five star in the class of 2024. And that, you know, there's a lot of hope that he's going to be the the first great quarterback under Billy Napier. That's still a long time to be able to to wait that one out. And you're now looking at this quarterback situation, going, wait a minute, so it's going to be. Graham Mertz or Jack Miller that's it like this situation was supposed to be okay maybe Graham Mertz can be good enough for like two months and then you turn over the reins to Jaden Rashada and you you just hope okay he's going to be able to put on some weight and develop and then you're kind of looking up going wait so you're not going to have that at all this is a bad look and you know maybe this was inevitable that a team was going to get kind of caught in a deal like this and Florida could end up feeling okay about this in the long run if Rashad doesn't turn out to be a great player. But in the meantime, it's still a bad look, and I agree 100%. It definitely hurts you in recruiting. Well, and you look at, too, at the schedule. I, I mean, look, they're coming off a 6-7 and seven year. Connor, you know better than most in the line of work you're in about Gator fans and, and the expectations. And, you know, it's, it's win now or else, and that's been proven time and time again. And I look at games at Utah, at LSU, Georgia here, Florida State, Tennessee, at South Carolina, at Missouri. I mean, it could be a long year in Gainesville, and if you go back-to-back six wins or less, you know as well as I do at that point, people are going to be talking about Napier. Yeah, he's not going anywhere, though, because that buyout is still sitting there, what, like $31 million, I want to say. Florida's not paying that, and they're they're not paying that because – the guy who signs his checks, Scott Strickland, wants that to work out. And they've invested 
such a significant amount of money into him. And remember beefing up the support staff as well is a big part of this and what you would ultimately have to pay for a buyout situation. So it's not so much that I think Billy Napier is in a spot where he could get fired after year two. It's more about, man, you're losing out on a prime opportunity right now. Given what we just talked about with Miami, given the fact that the SEC is about to expand to 16 teams and it's about to get more difficult with Texas and Oklahoma coming on board, you were hoping, if you were Scott Strickland, that this was going to be a a situation where you could kind of feel good about going into this new era of college football where the stakes have never been higher, there's never been more money to be able to make if you're a team that can get to the playoff consistently. We haven't seen any sign that Napier can do that. And the play calling, the lack of development from Anthony Richardson, that's all part of this. And so while I don't like to overreact to year one coaches and their performance because it is in part of what they inherit, I do think that there is reason to be concerned and reason to at least question the way that this is going to look at this time next year. A couple of more for Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. By the way, I completely agree with you. I don't think Napier should be on the hot seat but I know how Gator fans are. I've lived here my entire life. I know people will be chirping. And look, you hire Napier to bring in the big-time recruits. He got a signed letter of intent from a five-star quarterback, and he's got a verbal commitment from a four-slash-five-star quarterback for the following year. He did his job. Now, the NIL fumbled the ball, or Rashada, I don't know, went to the Under Armour game and showed out, then all of a sudden his camp wanted more money, Whatever happened, Connor, I don't fault Billy Napier for Rashada not being there. No, I don't either. I I don't. Um, To me, yeah, there there are things that happen above him. And as much as Napier is all about the process, there's a reason he hired that support staff. And there's a reason why Florida has beefed up the Gator Collective. It's so that you don't necessarily have to worry about Billy Napier handling all of these elements of of the job and what it takes to really run a – a big time college football program in this day and age. I agree with you. You can't necessarily just sit here and say, Oh, well, he's, he's the quarterback guy. He's the one calling plays. Obviously Jaden Rashad didn't want to come and play for him after all this time. It's like, no, it's, there are things that are above him, but at the same time, this is his program and he will be judged by the pieces that he has to work with. And right now they need more talent. I mean, Billy Napier 10 months ago is sitting there at the end of spring ball going, yeah, we just, we got to get more guys. We we don't even have enough guys to be able to, to kind of make this work you know, going back and forth with our two deep right now with the lack of depth that we have on defense. Like we need more guys. They still need more guys at Florida. This was all about talent acquisition. Billy Napier knows that he needs to be able to do more of that. Connor, how much is Georgia affected by Todd Monk and going to the Baltimore Ravens? Significantly. Significantly because it's the type of thing that can prevent you from three-peating. There's a reason why nobody has three-peated since 1936 Minnesota. I mean, there are so many teams that have tried to weather the storm and have looked like locks to at least repeat. And they haven't been able to do that. And why can't you do that all the time? Because you deal with things like this and you deal with coordinators who are like, all right, you know, I want to try the next thing. And Todd Munkin, you know, has said it before, look, you're kind of only as good as your last game. And I understand kind of the logic of Kirby smart wanting to be able to keep things in house and wanting to feel like you have trust in your OC. I was not crazy about the Mike Bobo hire to say the least. I thought it was a rare misstep from Kirby in which I question if he was blinded by loyalty. The fact that he hired his college roommate, a guy who obviously led prolific offenses at Georgia under Mike Rick, but did so at a different time in the SEC and did so nine and 10 years ago. 
and hasn't led a top 60 offense since 2017. So yeah, I get it. You're hoping that this is going to stay in house, but if we're thinking that Mike Bobo is just going to be able to pick up and right where Todd Munkin left off is the best assistant hire of the playoff era, in my opinion, I think we're wildly underestimating just how good Todd Munkin was as a schemer. And I do think this can be the type of move that prevents Georgia from winning a third national championship. Final moments, Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. They're back-to-back national champions, Connor. Far be it for me to say anything negative about the Georgia Bulldogs. And I understand it's not all their fault because Oklahoma was on the schedule. They came off because of OU coming to the SEC. But the schedule this year for Georgia is a joke. I mean, if you look at their 12 games, I bet you they're 20-point favorites in nine of them. I mean, it's it's cake is what it is, or am I am I wrong there? No, it is. Um, that, that game at Tennessee should be interesting, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to sit here and say that Georgia will be anything but 12-0. And, look, Georgia actually – I'm going to give them credit because they actually schedule non-conference play. They're one of the rare SEC teams – that has been willing to play 10 power five opponents on a yearly basis. They have always done that. And that is something that look, there are a lot of teams that don't, and they just say, eh, this is our annual rival and we're not going to play any other power five competition. And I get it, but Georgia has not been wired that way. And if you look at their future schedule, this is kind of the last year of that. They have really played this schedule for the future of the 12 team playoff wherein you can actually have multiple losses and it's not going to be counted against you. I mean, it is stacked and there are going to be so many great non-conference games involving Georgia moving forward. So I'm going to give them a pass for this year. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to put Oklahoma on the schedule in the first place. They were told to take them off. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but you're right. It does set up for what looks like a very favorable run to get to 12 and 0. Connor, final question. We're 18 months away from Texas and Oklahoma being on the field as members of the Southeastern Conference, but the schedule comes out well before then, usually October of the prior year, which means we're eight months or so away from the 2024 SEC schedule. A lot of rumors out there, a lot of conversation. I know one of your guys, our colleague here, Matt Hayes, has said that he believes it's going to be the three constants and the six rotators for nine conference games is that the way you see it when are we going to know the direction of the schedule moving forward in the sec yeah i agree with matt on this one um yeah i agree i think it's going to be three six i think that's the the best way now that we know the playoff this was always going to be based on the playoff the sec has never gone to a nine game conference schedule and to do so now with the news that we're going to have the 12 team playoff in 2024 it makes sense, um, and, and I think that that's going to be the direction that they ultimately go, and we'll be finding out shortly, uh, I think, before Destin. I think that's the plan. So, you know, we're going to be finding out in the next couple months here. I, I believe they're going to have this all, you know, kind of hashed out, and then they announced the schedule officially uh, in September. But we'll at least, I think, know the model these next few months, and then hopefully we're going to get months to just speculate wildly. I've already got an article up on SaturdayDownSouth.com wherein I speculate uh, each team's three permanent rivals, um, which definitely didn't upset anybody by leaving out certain rivalries. But, yes, it, uh, it, it is a decision that we should see uh, come down the pipe, uh, hopefully really soon here. But, yeah, I do agree. I think it's going to be the 3-6 model, and we'll enter in uh, a new phase of SEC play wherein a nine-game conference schedule is the norm. All right, Connor, Saturday down south. I love it. Would highly recommend anybody here in Jacksonville to go check it out. What can they expect when they head over to SaturdayDownSouth.com? 
Matt Hayes and I write a billion columns for Saturday Down South. Uh, no, we, we got we got a bunch of great <laughs> a great coverage in addition to that. Adam Spencer crushes our basketball coverage. Joe Cox does such a great job covering SEC baseball for us. Our news team is all over it. I always tell people like, you know, it's it, we're recording this on a Monday. You know, you want to be able to you know waste an afternoon at the office or something like that. Just go to SaturdayDownSouth.com. Become a more informed college sports fan. Um, you have plenty of stories that you can click around and, you know, just, just kind of waste an afternoon consuming our content. And I promise you won't be disappointed. One of our favorites here on 1010XL, Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, I know you're busy, man. Really appreciate the time. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, one thing I forgot to bring up from this past weekend, the aura, the legend that is Mac McClung. So Saturday night, I'm settling in to watch Paolo Bencaro of my Orlando Magic after a dominating performance in the uh, Futures game on Friday. Paolo teams with two other rookies, Jaden Ivey and Jabari Smith, and they were just awful in the skills competition. Just That was an awful skills competition. So bad. Three-point shootout was pretty good. Damian Lillard won that, but still kind of an underwhelming all-star Saturday night. And then I look at the contestants for the slam dunk. I see Kenyon Martin Jr. I liked his dad well enough, but I don't know about Jr., I see some guy for the Knicks that I've literally never heard of, and I'm an NBA fan. Jericho Sims was not familiar with him. Some guy from the Pelicans, who, again, I didn't know a whole lot about, and this guy named Mac McClung. And if you would have told me Saturday night at 9 o'clock that an hour and a half later, we'd be talking about the legend of Mac McClung. And he had a shoe deal that signed that night. Did he? Oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, Did he really? Puma. Now, really quick, Denmark. Apparently, your generation was much more familiar with Mac McClung than I was. Yeah, apparently, uh, when he was coming out of high school, he had a lot of highlights. Like, if you go on YouTube, look up his highlights from high school, he was, like, basically doing what he did in dunk contest in high school. Look, it wasn't Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins. I'm not going to get crazy here. It wasn't Vince Carter. It wasn't Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine. Having said that, it was just underneath those. That dude was awesome. On Saturday night, Mac McClung, just as everybody envisioned, made the dunk contest fun again for the NBA. It was uh, it was good. If you have not seen the dunks, there's a 10-minute thing on YouTube of all Mac McClung's dunks. Of course, after Hacker After Dark goes off the air, I would highly recommend you watch that because he was an absolute beast in the dunk contest. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up in about 25 minutes, J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio as we set the scene for the Jaguars offseason. Coming up next, let's talk to a man that wore that Jacksonville Jaguar uniform. He spent nine years in the National Football League. My friend Clay Harbor, former Tight end of the Jaguars. Let's talk Jaguars offseason. Let's talk NFL offseason with Clay Harbor 
That's next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Now. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason in full swing. In fact, we are just over three weeks away from NFL free agency. Certainly a lot of decisions have to be made, including right here in Jacksonville. With that, let's go to a man that wore the Jacksonville Jaguar uniform. It's been a while since we talked to him. we got a lot of catching up to do. That's my man Clay Harbor, former Jaguar tight end, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Clay, how we doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. Appreciate you having me on. Always love talking NFL and definitely always like talking Jaguars. Clay, what a year. I haven't had you on, I believe, since the preseason. And uh, who would have ever thought back in August that the Jaguars would start 4-8 and eight and then ultimately win, what, six in a row to get all the way to the AFC Divisional Playoff? What a ride it was. Man, I was optimistic from the from the beginning, but I'll be honest. You know, I lost a little faith down the road there, especially when they're four and eight and made that comeback to uh, to make the playoffs. I think they're the only the third team in NFL history to come back from that record and, and actually make the playoffs and and just capping off that wild card win the way they did, coming back from you know twenty eight to nothing to to win that game and then play the Chiefs tough, the the, the team that won the NFL that won the Super Bowl. So. I mean, this team is, is was really resilient, if I could use one word. And I think it all started with Doug Peterson, and that trickled down to Trevor Lawrence, which trickled down to the rest of the team. So I'm excited to see what, what's in store for the rest of the rest of this uh, this tandem's Duke career here. Clay, you played a lot of years in the league, man. You got a great perspective. I want to ask you about Doug, but I want to start with Trevor. He was a different quarterback in September and October. He was struggling. Looked like he might have had some confidence issues. And I don't know what happened on that plane ride home from London after the loss to Denver around Halloween, but he was a completely different guy after that trip. I mean, how does that happen? Does the light come on? I mean, is that the the correct verbiage? How would you describe that? I thought thought about this one too, Ryan. You know, I'm not sure what happened there, but I think maybe him and Doug just had a talk and they started going over some film and and Trevor just, just... kind of really, you know, saw some things on tape that he, he was doing wrong. And then he went back and he corrected them and just kept getting better and kept improving. And that's the thing when you have a growth mindset, like Doug Peterson always preaches, getting 1% better every day, you know, and you heard the, the Jags talking about how they portray things, that mindset that no matter what happens, good, we lost this game, good. Now we're going to come back and we're going we're gonna to win the next one. He threw a pick, good. Give us an opportunity to get better. And they use that mindset, that growth mindset. Doug Peterson, uh, Trevor Lawrence looked at what they did wrong, and they they fixed it. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Clay, we had you on when Doug Peterson was hired a little over a year ago. You were very high on the hiring then. Obviously, you spent a lot of time with Doug during your playing career. Obviously, it came to fruition, man. What a hire by Shad Khan bringing Doug Peterson to this organization. Yeah, Sean really hit the hit the ball in the park with this one, man. I think it was an unbelievable hire, and you know, I'm so glad Doug's Doug's in Jacksonville. And I was able to see Doug. I was able to uh, see him when I was down there at training camp and talk to him, and just such a delight to be around. A great guy, but but even a better coach. This guy knows how to coach football. I spent time with him in Philly when he was with Andy Reid as the uh, quarterback coach in Philadelphia, 
and from there on, he just knew the guy knew football. He, he, he had a passion for, it. he loved his players. And in my opinion, he should have been the coach of the year to take this team from worst team in the league for two consecutive years to winning the division and winning a playoff game and playing the Kansas city chiefs, the eventual super bowl champions tough. In my opinion, it's not even close. He should have been the coach of the year. Clay, as we get into the off season now, three weeks away, from free agency as a guy that lived through that process before we really start talking about certain guys the Jaguars etc if you are a free agent you're set to hit the market in three weeks what's the process like right now what are you talking about are you in constant communication with your agent are backdoor conversations happening even though they're quote not supposed to be right now take us into the process Absolutely, the top top of the line guys, the, the, the big time free agents probably already have. There's probably already some deals that are hashed out there. Obviously, not signed, and the stuff could happen. But right now, there's some verbal agreements being made. And as you continue, the guys with the second tier and third tier guys are getting some calls, are getting their gauging their interest. They're probably not going to sign right away, but those second and third tier guys will sign after that first wave of guys. And you know, right now, everybody's talking to everybody. As a player, you're talking to your agent. Okay, this team called. They want this. This team called. You go here, you're going to get less, but, you know, I think it's a better place to play. And you're really trying to figure out with your agent, with your family, what route you want to take. What offer should I take? Okay, I only got three offers. You know, two of them are, are realistic. One of them, no. So I got to decide between these two places. And you honestly, you sit down on a piece of paper and you write out the pros and the cons, just like just like any decision. And, um, you know, that's typically what's going on for a player. And a lot of, a lot of discussions happen at the Combine that's coming up here. You'll, you'll see agents talking to, to teams, you know, talking about players they want to draft, free agents, you know, who they like, who they're interested in, and that's also a very exciting time. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, you've piqued my interest. Not every situation is the same. Obviously, they vary, but by and large, during your time in the league, do players let their agent handle a majority of this, or will a player go to an agent and say, hey, I don't care what team A is offering. I want to go to team B. Sometimes if you know, so he'll, he'll let you know what teams are interested. And if you're, if you want to go back to a team, I think that you're going to listen to the offers. You're going to see what offers are out there. And if it's close and you want to go with team A, as opposed to team B, who maybe gave you a little bit more money. Some guys will do that. The majority of guys take the best offer though. It's the, the most guaranteed money. And, and I mean, for, for the sport, I understand that there's, you know, there's no healthcare, but for five years after football, you're done playing. I mean, these guys want to take care of themselves. They want to take care of their family. And I understand that. So you're going to go with the pretty much most time, the best offer, but there are some instances where it's like, Hey, I want to stay here, get the most team. It's like, you're talking about the Jaguars. Some player really wants to stay in Duval. Another team offers them maybe a couple million a year more. There's a chance that a guy could say, I want to stay here and I will take less. Majority of the time, that will not happen. Clay, let's talk about your former position at tight end. The Jaguars got unbelievable production out of Evan Ingram this year. He is set to hit the market on Monday, March 13th. Evan Ingram, I believe, is 28 years old. This could potentially be his last major contract, if you will. Take us into the mindset of Evan Ingram. Uh, he says he wants to be back publicly. The Jaguars said they want him back publicly. We know how good Doug Peterson is at working tight ends into his offense. How would you summarize that whole situation with Ingram and the Jaguars heading into free agency? 
I think Ingram wants to be there, and the Jags want him there. I mean, there's a chance that you give him the uh, the franchise tag, but the franchise tag is going to be 11 million some anyway. So, in my opinion, maybe try to offer him 10 million for three years, and you'll get a little less than you would in the franchise tag towards towards the cap this year. And I think that'd be a good deal for him. I think he's going to have a lot of offers out there. There's not that many great tight ends. Uh, Dalton Schultz is a, is a guy. Mike Gusecki. I mean, there's some guys coming out, but, you know, overall, I think Evan Ingram is the, the headliner of this class. So he's going to have a lot of offers. There's going to be some teams interested. So I think that he's going to have a big market, and he might have to take a little less to stay in Jacksonville because the Jags are a little bit cash-strapped this offseason. Obviously, they can move things around and get more money. But for now, I mean, Evan might need to work with the Jags if he really wants to stay here. From a Jaguar perspective, Clay, how important is it to bring back Evan Ingram? I think it's very important. You saw what the guy was able to do with Trevor Lawrence. It's over 700 yards, over 60 catches, uh, four touchdowns. And down the stretch, he just played so well when the Jags started winning. You saw what happened when they started throwing the ball to Evan Ingram. You saw what happened in the playoff game, the wild card game, when they, and the, during that comeback. saw what happened against the Titans. This guy had some big games down the stretch, and he became one of Trevor Lawrence's favorite targets. I think you got to bring this guy back because you know how much Trevor wants him and how good he is with Trevor. And obviously with Doug being able to utilize all the shallow crosses, the pick plays, the quick screens, it's just another weapon out there. And if you can get him back with the addition of Ridley and keeping Zay and and everybody else that they got out there, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive. With Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, uh, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, this offense would be one of the best offenses, not in the division, in my opinion, even in the league. A couple of more for former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, same question revolving around offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. How important is it for Jacksonville to bring Jawan Taylor back? I think it's important, but I think Walker Little showed that he can play in this league too. I think Jawan Taylor is going to be a prized possession in free agency. A lot of teams are going to go after him because the way he can pass block. I think he showed that he's he's an upper echelon offensive tackle. He's going to have a lot of suitors out there. And I think it's a position that's at a premium, and the Jags are going to have to pay up if they want him, and I don't know they got the cash to do that. And they're in a good position to where they have – they're going to have Cam Robinson coming back and then Walker Little, second-round pick. He showed down the stretch that he can play. He is not a weak link. Walker Little can get the job done. I think Jawan Taylor's better – but I think uh, Walker Little can still play, and you're not missing much if you do lose Jawan Taylor. Is it easy for Walker Little to go from left tackle to right tackle? I mean, is that a tough transition, or do you think he could handle that? I think he can handle that. I think he's a guy that's you know a smart player, Stanford kid. I think he can really handle that that move, and it's different. You're switching it, but it's different. But most of the teams now, you're training guys in in multiple positions, and he's playing swing tackle as a backup anyway, so he's he's competing at right tackle with Juwan Taylor, then he's at left tackle with Canby now, so he's a guy that can do both things. I think he can be successful at right or left tackle. You know, final Jaguar-related question, the third guy that everybody wants to know about is Arden Key, very similar to Evan Ingram, right? I mean, he signed a one-year yeah. prove-it deal, and he certainly proved it in that one year here in Jacksonville. Uh, the Jaguars have some salary cap issues, as you mentioned. There's some question as to whether – Roy Robertson-Harris might be released to save some money. But I think if you can find a way, Clay, to bring Arden Key back, they they got to try to do that. I think Arden Key's going to have a lot of suitors, too. I think he, he only had four and a half sacks, but 
he had a career high 20 pressures according to pro football focus and and Arden Key's a player as far as pressure percentage he's top 10 in the NFL for for pressure percentage percentage of the times he gets the pass rush that he actually gets pressure on the quarterback so he's a player he's a guy that teams got their eyes on they're gonna have to pay up if they want to keep Arden Key as well I think he's a guy they need to keep but it's, it's not going to be cheap for him Clay, we know you love your Jacksonville Jaguars. We also know that you love the Chicago Bears. You do a lot of work in the Chicago area. And the talk, and it's picking up, quite frankly, as we're getting closer to the draft about trading Justin Fields to draft a quarterback at number one. I mean, we heard what Mike Tannenbaum, I think this morning on ESPN, throw out there that he thinks they should draft Bryce Young, they being the Bears, and trade Justin Fields, I think I know what your reaction to that's going to be, but I'll ask you anyway, what is your reaction to that? I love Mike T. I'm a contributor with his media company, the 33rd team. But, you know, I I get where they're coming from with that. You want to reset the quarterback clock because you get more resources to put into building a roster with a rookie quarterback. And some people think Justin Fields can't improve with throwing the football. I think he can. Some people think Bryce Young is the guy. Some people think he's too small. He can get hurt. I actually, his size to me isn't as big of an issue as it is to some people because Bryce Young had 100 yards rushing last. He's not a running quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback. When you're in the pocket, you have unprecedented protection for quarterback. That's why Tom Brady was able to play at 85 years old. He's a pocket quarterback. If you look at a guy wrong in the pocket, you are going to get penalized. You, you're, you're safe in that pocket. So I understand what people say, Bryce Young, you know, over Justin Fields. But in my opinion, you need to build around Justin Fields, not trade him. You saw what happened to Jalen Hurts. Look back uh, till the beginning of the season training camp. People are saying Jalen Hurts isn't the guy. You know, Jalen Hurts, his roster is good, but the Eagles are never going to do it with Jalen Hurts. He can't be the guy. Now everybody's praising Jalen Hurts. He's uh, in the MVP race. Him and Justin Fields had nearly identical second seasons. Get Justin Fields a big-time receiver. Get him a good offensive line. You put a good defense back there. That helps a quarterback, believe it or not. And then I think you will see Justin Fields progress the same way Jalen Hurts did. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. Clay, final question. We know how connected you are in Philadelphia as well. Shane Steichen leaving the Eagles and coming to the AFC South. Jacksonville will see him twice a year as the head coach of the the Indianapolis Colts. Your opinion on Shane Steichen and what the Colts got there? No, it scares me a little bit because I know he is, you know, he's a, he's a great play caller, man. This guy knows how to call plays. And when he took over the offensive coordinator position for Nick Sirianni, that's when the Eagles started playing much better. And he knows how to run the football. He wants to pound the rock. He obviously can throw it too, but he's a guy that, that does it all consistently. And he's a guy that, that, that scares me a little bit as a Jaguars fan and former Jags player. So I, I think they got a heck of a hire there. And, but the one thing they're still missing is a quarterback. I don't know. Maybe they trade up and try to go after Bryce Young. Maybe they try to sign uh, Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they, maybe they try to sign Derek Carr. It's a couple different ways the Colts can go, but I think they got the head coach right. Clay, give yourself a little bit of love, man. Where can Jaguar fans find you during this offseason? I know on social media you're all over the place, a very busy man this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I put everything I'm up to up on my Twitter account. That's ClayHarbs82 on Twitter. And tonight on Stadium TV, you can find me at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Stadium TV. Talk 
in a show called Believe Me, talking some sports betting, what we think are some of the best bets for next season. He's one of our favorites here on 1010XL, former Jaguar, tight end, Clay Harbor. Clay, as I said, know you're busy, brother. Thank you for taking time out today. We'll talk again soon. For sure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar offseason enters the middle part of February. Here's something hard to believe. 25 days ago, the Jaguars lost to Kansas City. 26 days from today, NFL free agency begins. So we were about the halfway point between when the season ended and when free agency arrives. With that, let's head down to the stadium. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. JP, how we doing, man? Hacker, doing well, man. All season's here, about a week and a half away from the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis, and it never, never seems to slow down. The uh, the NFL is about 11 months a year, and we're in the midst of that right now. Yeah, there's no question. I imagine the coaches are probably back at work getting ready for the combine. I know you're down at the stadium, probably standing pretty close to the brand-new football facility there. JP, what's the status of that thing, man? Is that thing going to be ready to go in time for uh, certainly training camp there in July? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, we're talking on the phone. I walked outside, and I'm standing here looking at it right now. They've put glass up uh, on the building, and it's, as far as I know, supposedly uh, going to be ready for business this summer, and the team will move in there probably June, July, somewhere in there. And then training camp, of course, starts in late July, so – They've just now started to clear off what will be the two outdoor fields and kind of level those off. So I'm thinking very soon they'll start putting the field down and uh, finishing up the interior of the building. But it's going to be on time and it's going to be spectacular and it will be, a, uh, I think, a big change, certainly in a good way for the, for the football team to have their own space. And uh, th- this kind of puts them right up there with the rest of the NFL in terms of facilities. Uh, they were woefully behind in terms of space. You had coaches in hallways, and uh, the weight room is out on the concourse. I mean, there's a lot of things, um, you know, from the 1995 stadium that were just outdated. And it was time to it was time to do it, and it's going to be fantastic. And JP again, JP Shadrick here with us. You spoke to it there a little bit, but you're a great guy to ask from a guy that works in that stadium every day. I mean, that's going to be an invaluable resource, right? I mean, that levels the playing field all that available space, all those rooms, all that the things that can be used in that building, that's going to be unreal for the Jaguar football team and really the entire organization. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it, it just kind of makes it uh, – I think it's long overdue, honestly. I mean, because there's so many new places in the league now. Uh, and I don't know if it's a competitive in terms of free agency. Yeah, players will come in. The money's what's going to compete with people and free agency, right, at the end of the day. It does help if your facility is a little bit better, but I think that the big picture there is the the dollar signs for a lot of those free agents and the situation with the football team more than what building you're walking into every day. But from a day-to-day perspective, just meeting space, um, you know, collaboration with other parts of the office, I mean, all that is just going to be streamlined a bit because everything's in one Big, it's massive, obviously, but it's all combined. It's all football only. A football factory is what Shad John described it as when they were announcing it, and that's exactly what it will be. 
JP, we've had three and a half weeks to kind of decompress, get away from it a little bit. And, you know, when you think back to the run the Jaguars made, I'll refer to it as last year now that the Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror. I mean, you started with the Jaguars over a decade ago. You've seen a, a lot of down times there. You do the network post game. I do the fifth quarter. And I can't tell you how many times we, we had to talk about loss after loss after loss, year after year after year. But, boy, last year was a heck of a lot of fun, man. As you reflect back, what are some of your fondest memories? Oh, I mean, just the way they turned things around after London, right? I mean, it, it was going the wrong way. They were losing a lot of close games. It felt like they could you know, be in them. They were in those games. just couldn't finish them off. And then they actually flipped the switch and started winning some games and in some dramatic fashion, obviously, as well. I mean, the one that, that really stands out to me was the Cowboys game. Uh, that was one, obviously, with the overtime and the interception. And then going to, to Tennessee and, and finally knocking off the Titans in their place first time in a long time that's happened. And just the way it happened, they physically just beat them up and, and knocked the ball loose out of Derrick Henry. And that's when Josh Allen said they realized, oh, we can actually go do this, right? We're not going to get pushed around by any team anymore. If we can knock it out of Derrick Henry, uh, Shaq Quarterman hit, did it. And I think that was really when the thing turned and the confidence just continued to build from there. So for me, it's the Titans game up there in Nashville, the Cowboys game on the defensive touchdown, um, and the way they just kept fighting and scrapping throughout uh, December to, to get it done. Those are those are some fun games for sure. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com. J.P., as we turn the page and look ahead to the offseason, we're already seeing it, right? ESPN. Uh, NFL Network, all these power ranking polls coming out going in to the offseason. The Jaguars are in the top 10 in all these things. I saw Colin Cowherd earlier this week had Trevor Lawrence as the number three quarterback in the league going into 2023. This is going to be the offseason where all the love is going to be shown on Jacksonville. It'll be a nice change. Now, certainly they have to back all of that up once the play starts here in early to mid-September. But it's kind of nice not to be the doormat anymore and actually be talked about. Like the YouTube TV commercial promoting Sunday ticket at the Super Bowl, what's one of the first images you see? Trevor Lawrence to Evan Ingram. You're not accustomed to that here in Jacksonville. Well, you better get accustomed to it. I mean, if if this team's going to win consistently, that's what you get. That's what you're going to have. And uh, when you don't win consistently, you, you see what happens on the other end of it. We've seen that for the last decade for the most part. Um Everybody likes a winner, and that includes the network, certainly. And they love a quarterback, and they love a head coach combination. Uh, it kind of changes the game in that regard for the Jaguars. And now it's just a matter of building it around it, um, you know, building it to be sustainable, not just a one-hit wonder. And that's the goal of this offseason is to get those parts around the quarterback and, and the coach and, you know, tweak some things on defense and, and build this thing for the long haul and not just a one- or two-year hit. And then you'll see them everywhere on promotions. I mean, that's not going to go away. I mean, this feels like much more sustainable, obviously, than we saw in the 2017 uh, collapse in 2018 and uh, the dismantling of the organization basically in the next year or so after that. This is not that. This is going to be around for a while. Uh, it's just a matter of, of building it the right way now. This is a, this is a big offseason for this team in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they've got to figure out some things in free agency. They've got to figure out the salary cap first and then go cherry pick some guys in the draft that can go contribute and, and build this football team. 
And I want to get to some of those free agent thoughts in a moment. Final thought on Trevor Lawrence right now. Look, all due respect to the the greats of the Jaguar past, Burnell, Baselli, Taylor, Smith, McCardell, you name it, but they didn't play here in the social media era, right? The 24-hour constant news cycle. Um, MJD a little bit, but even he wasn't in the social media era per se. Jalen Ramsey a little bit, but he wasn't a quarterback. JP, I'm watching Trevor Lawrence last week do every interview on television. Every network had him. Every major, you know, syndicated radio national show had him. And the way he conducted himself, the way he represented the organization, unbelievably impressive for a 23-year-old to do what he did last week in those media rounds. Well, I mean, we see that every every week we get to talk to him. Um, you know, he does his press conference on Wednesdays on game week. And then, of course, after the game, he's available. Uh, he's approachable. He's open. He's honest. He probably, you know, gives too long answers sometimes, right? I mean, he's, he gives you all the information you want plus stuff. There's a reporter that's invaluable, especially from a quarterback and quarterback of the Jaguars. That's that's big-time stuff. And, you know, remember what he went through his rookie year, too. He was the one that had to go out there every week when everything was going on with the head coach and represent the team. Um, that was tough because he couldn't go in the locker room that year, remember? It was, you know, still the COVID rules. So he was kind of thrown out there and had to deal with that awful situation. And I think he earned a lot of uh, credit in that season, his rookie season, the way he did that. And I just I think that speaks to the character of the guy, the way he was brought up and the way he has turned into a professional. That's um, that's Trevor Lawrence in a nutshell. And that's uh, it feels like that's the true Trevor Lawrence. It's not a show. It's hard to fake it for that long uh, for that that that, you know, that long of amount of time um, being that open and good. Uh, I think that's just who he is. And we're, we're in a great spot with with him at the helm couple of more for J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, and, of course, Jaguars Radio here on 1010XL. J.P., happy Calvin Ridley Day. I saw within the last uh, hour or so uh, from Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, that Calvin Ridley has officially applied for reinstatement. It was the first day he could do it. He has done so, not wasting any time. All indications are that it's just now a matter of time before the NFL allows him to be reinstated and to show up to Jacksonville, get the playbook, and become Trevor Lawrence's new best friend on the offense. What will Calvin Ridley, JP, in your opinion, add to this team and to that offense? Well, we'll see what kind of shape he's in first. I mean, he hasn't played, what, he played five games two seasons ago and then was out, so it's been a while for him. Is he, you know, can he get his football legs back quickly? And I think the only way you do that is to go play, right? So... Uh, we may not know, uh, at least maybe I, I would even say early in the season, you know, I, I, you know, and I'm saying that not even seeing the guy, maybe he's in great shape. I have no idea. Um, but let's, let's see what he looks like. First off, let's get him reinstated. Let's start with that. He's applied for it. That doesn't mean he is reinstated yet. So let the league do their thing on that and then get him into this situation here and see what he's got and um, then build it from there. I think that's the next step. And, you know, if he if he's close to what he was in his first year, uh, then you're in pretty good shape. He's got the deep credibility. He can be a true number one receiver for this team. Um, and then that just adds to what Zay Jones and, and Christian Kirk and those guys can do around him. But this is a if if he's close to that, 
it's a it's a fantastic pickup for Trim Paul. Well, and you think about that offense, what it could be next year in a three wide receiver set: Ridley, Kirk, Zay Jones, with Travis Etienne, and hopefully Evan Ingram. And that leads me into free agency, JP. There's, I think, 14 unrestricted free agents, and there's some sort of nice players from Andrew Wingard, Chris Manhurts, um, Dewan Smoot. You know, guys that I would like to see back here. But at the end of the day, the fan base is talking about three guys. They're talking about Arden Key, they're talking about Jawan Taylor, and they're talking about Evan Ingram. Those are the three guys that everybody's interested in. JP, from your perspective, uh, maybe vital is not the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use. Is it vital to the Jaguars that they're able to bring two or even all three of those guys back? I think it's vital to bring your tight end back. I don't think you bring him in on a one-year deal with your basically first-year quarterback now in a second season, obviously. You build all that chemistry they did together to just let it walk out the door. I think that's something they can sustain. And, you know, I think it's a priority for the organization. And, I, you know, we heard it from Evan from his mouth on, on the clean-out day in the locker room. He, he wants to be here too. So, you know, usually when those things meet up, it gets done. So we'll see how that goes the right tackle i mean the jaguars in theory do have a little bit of wiggle room because they have walker little sitting there and played well um when he was in the football games later in the season so okay yeah he played well at left tackle but hey he's a guy that you feel like you drafted in the second round for a reason um i don't think it's as vital because of that now it'd be nice to have juan taylor back and uh, the number is going to be the big question on that and can he play at the level he did this season? This was a contract year for him, and he, he played his best football in big moments this year. And can he sustain that? Is that what you're going to get out of Jawan Taylor? I, I think it would be. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know why he would play otherwise, but that's just something to think about. And the Arden Key one, yeah, he, he played big in big moments as well. Um, you know, what's the number on him? Uh, you know, they're going to have to do some other things beyond Arden Key, I think, to really fix this pass rush in key moments, but um, he played big. But I, I would probably put them in that order, honestly. Ingram, priority one, the right tackle, and then the the pass rush. And look, I don't know about you, JP. I would imagine you do, but but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I can't go out, you know, to a restaurant, a grocery store, where I don't hear some sort of conversation about how excited this fan base is, man. I mean, people are talking about the off-season program. They're talking about the draft. They're talking about training camp and the schedule next year. My goodness, when you have home games against Kansas City and Cincinnati and, and you know, you're playing the likes of San Francisco and all these teams, Buffalo as well. I mean, the excitement in this city, we knew it was going to be like this when the Jaguars finally started winning. And, boy, it's come to fruition even early on here in the off-season. That's well, good. I mean, it's been a long time coming, right? And it kind of proves that this is an NFL town. And, you know, there's all this talk. You know, if you get out of here, oh, it's college town, Florida, Florida State. Yes, and they have big presence here. But when the Jaguars are good, it is an NFL town. And it is not even close in terms of viewership. Um, anything, any other metric you want to put on it, when the Jags are hot, it is the talk of the town. It certainly is right now. And I think it will be for the foreseeable future, Hacker, just as we talked about, the way it's been built so far, the the ability they have moving ahead to, to make it sustainable, 
Uh, the new building, everything going on around the stadium, that's all headed in the right direction as well. And, hey, it's a good time to be a Jaguar. And everybody's on the bandwagon. Let's do it. Let's ride this thing. All right, JP, leave us with this. Three and a half weeks till free agency, as you mentioned, the combine before that. What can people look forward to over there at Jaguars.com? Yeah, we're back on uh, on the air actually next week with our shows. We had a little hiatus after the, the playoff run, so everybody got a little rested. We're back uh, next week with drive time and huddle up with Bucky Brooks on Wednesday, and then Thursday it's happy hour again. And then the next week we're at the Combine. We'll be there on the ground at at Radio Row Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. National guests, and uh, of course, Doug Peterson. Trent Baalke will speak with the media, I believe, on Tuesday of that week. So we'll have plenty of coverage around those events. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's uh, it's March. And uh, here we go. The, the league year begins in the middle of March. And uh, as we said, it never stops. There's always something a couple weeks out, it feels like. And that's by design. The league loves it that way. And you know what, Hacker, we do too. That gives us something to do all year. There is no question about that. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio. J.P., I'll talk to you after the combine, my friend. Safe travels. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Hacker. I appreciate you. And thank you to J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, we're a month in to the Jaguar off season. We are less than three weeks until the start of NFL free agency. And, of course, a little bit of Jaguar news today as Jim Bob Cooter, the passing game coordinator, now going to the Indianapolis Colts. That'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We have a lot of people to thank, including J.P. Shadrick of Jaguars.com and Jaguars Radio, Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor joined the show tonight. Always enjoy talking ball with Clay Harbor. We looked at the Jaguars offseason. Also did a look around the National Football League. And Connor O'Gara, SaturdayDownSouth.com. There is a ton of college football news going on with Florida, Florida State, Georgia, and Miami. So appreciated Connor O'Gara taking time out for us today here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night. Now, we're in for Baloo the rest of the week. So tomorrow night, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Not our late show tomorrow night. 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Same time slot as this evening. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we will be 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.